Uh, I'm excited about this word today. This is, I've never preached this message before. It's the first time uh, that I'll preach it. I actually travel as my job, if you don't know that, speaking all around the world. Uh, and so often, it's not as often for me that I preach a brand new message. God will give me a word and I'll take it, you know, everywhere kind of thing. But this is fresh. It's today. And, uh, and depending on your response, it would depend if there will be a second time with this message. So we'll see how we go. And... Uh, but uh, so, uh, you know, I've shared this story before, but uh, I grew up and uh, did a whole heap of drugs and was pretty messed up. And uh, my dad, uh, he role modeled drugs and sold drugs. And we'd go visit my dad every Friday night uh, when I was a little boy since the age of six. My parents divorced. My mum is here tonight. Can we just honor her tonight? She's an incredible lady, incredible woman of faith. And she's visiting from Australia, goes home tomorrow. So love your mum so much. And, uh, you know, so, so when my parents divorced when I was six, we'd go stay with dad on a Friday night and he'd be partying, doing drugs, all that kind of th- stuff. And, and my dad has this one best friend and he's a real what we would call knockabout kind of guy. You know, there's, there's words, he's a bogan, okay? But you guys don't even know what that means. It's the closest word to it is redneck, but it's not really a redneck, okay? Uh, <laughs> Maybe a redneck that likes kind of heavy metal. Anyway, uh, I don't know. And, and so he's a real knockabout kind of guy, pretty rough around the edges, you know, drinks a lot of beer, smokes marijuana, uh, a nice man in his heart, always been encouraging to me. And, and so I grew up and as my dad's best friend. So he, he sort of knew me when I was like six years old and I was always this kind of happy-go-lucky kid and a little bit cheeky, a little bit naughty, often getting in trouble, uh, but fun and full of life and life of the party. And, and so he knew me since I was, you know, this big and he watched me grow and eventually he saw me at the age of 12 and uh, now I had started to smoke marijuana and he saw me when I was kind of 15 and now I had sort of uh, graduated to using needles and I was injecting amphetamines and Uh, over time really started to lose my confidence because of all the drugs and really shrinking back. And uh, I was already a fairly skinny kid, but now from the injecting, uh, I was extremely skinny. My face was gaunt. And uh, he saw me after I was uh, 15 or 16 where I took an acid trip at a house where they were involved in demonic uh, worship where I overdosed for three hours and was tormented by demons. I wasn't a Christian for three hours. And as a 40, almost three-year-old man in a couple of weeks, uh, hint, hint, no, I'm just joking. Uh, As an almost 43-year-old man, uh, I can without a doubt say that that experience, that three-hour experience was the most traumatic experience of my existence. And tormented, and that left me with what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis. Uh, where the television now would speak to me, the radio would speak to me, a voice every day would tell me that I should end my life, that no one loved me, that I should kill myself. And he saw me after I'd taken that acid trip and now in my mind I wasn't quite right. And there would be occasions where I'd sit with him and, and I would act in very unusual ways to what was happening in the environment because I was responding to what was happening in here but everybody out there couldn't see what was happening in here. So I'd sometimes do crazy things or say something that didn't make sense or quickly abruptly get up and leave a room because I was freaking out. 
So he watched me go from that happy-go-lucky kid to now this, what society called a junkie that was skinny and gaunt and messed up in his mind, who was suicidal, now extremely withdrawn. But then he saw me after I got born again radically at the age of 23. He saw me come back and now there was no longer a vice. Cigarettes didn't control my life. Drugs didn't control my life. Alcohol didn't control my life. And he started to see freedom, but still didn't fully have confidence. And every now and again, because I'd move cities, I would come back and I'd visit my dad and I'd see my dad's friend, Mark. And he would gradually see the change and the change and the change and the change. And I've almost been a Christian 20 years this October. And it was probably about five years ago, I've been traveling full-time around the world for about eight years. And it was about five years, maybe three, three to five years ago, I was preaching right near where he lived. And I rang my dad's best friend and I said, hey, Mark, I said, I'm preaching around the corner at night. Uh, is there any way you'd come and watch me preach? And he says, Lucas, you don't know, you know me and I don't ever go to church. He's the kind of guy that thinks the walls would, you know, the roof would cave in if he walked in. And, and he said, but because it's you, he said, I'll come and watch you preach. And he came and watched and I preached my heart out. It was a church little bit like C3 Central where it was a bit rowdy and people got excited. And, you know, there were moments where people cheered and shouted and got enthusiastic. And, and really, I preached my heart out that night. I, I preached as good as I could and, and I gave it everything I could give. And, and at the end of the service, if I be honest with you, I that night didn't really care what anybody else thought. I just wanted to find out what my dad's best friend, who's known me for, at that time, maybe 37, 38 years. And so I bustled through the crowd. He had already gone out to the front of the church. He was probably a little overwhelmed and uncomfortable because he was in an environment that wasn't his usual environment. Maybe you feel like that right now. Can I tell you that this is where you were born to be, that God loves you so much. And you're part of his family. You might not even know it, but you are part of his family and you're welcome and he loves you so much. And, and so I bustled out to the front steps and I remember I got to the front steps and I said, hey, Mark, I said, well, what, what did you think? And I, I can't tell you word for word what he said because I'd never be allowed to preach here again. <laughs> so let me give you the censored version, okay? And so basically, without me exaggerating, he looked at me and I said, well, well, what did you think? And he looked at me and he said, Lucas, I know who you are. He said, I've known you your whole life. I know who you are. He said, only God could have done what I just saw happen on that stage. There's no other explanation, no other reason for what I just saw happen on that stage. And I want to preach a message tonight that I call Be Fruitful. And really the essence of where we're going in this message is God wants you to be so fruitful that you actually become unrecognisable. That the people in your life that knew you would say, seriously, I don't even know who you are anymore because you've got so much favour. You've got so much blessing. You're so much whole than you used to be. There's prosperity all over you. There's favour. There, there's good relationships. There's the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to be fruitful. And I love 
that we're a church that doesn't shy away from Hollywood and talking about things that other churches don't. And, and it's amazing how movies actually preach. They might not even be Christian in nature, but the gospel is everywhere. The message of Jesus is everywhere. It is intrinsically written into the very DNA of the earth. And, and so tonight, uh, the, the movie that I'm going to look at is... Uh, the Green Lantern. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, get ready, spoiler alert, because you're going to see the end and everything and it's going to be messed up for you. But it is an older movie, so that's your fault. Okay, all right. But let me quickly read a text first. Show them, show them that scripture, John 15. Let this get in your spirit. It says, I am the true, get this in your spirit. This is a beautiful passage of scripture. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. It's in red. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, this is a really cool promise. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. It's such a beautiful picture of how the Father, His desire for you is for you to be fruitful in every area of your life. And it's a beautiful, intimate picture of the way that you become fruitful is not from knowing a distant God, but through being intertwined intimately and connected to a loving Father that, that wants to cause you as you connect intimately to Him, that fruit would just continue to appear on your life. Let's check out this first scene of Green Lantern. It's two minutes. Jordan. Hal Jordan. I am Abinsa. 
Protector of sector. Okay, hey, hey, listen. We're gonna get you to a hospital, okay? Okay, one, 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 that, 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 carries purple blood. The ring, it shows you. Take it. Place the ring in the lantern. Place the ring. Speak the oath. Great honor. Cool. I'm not used to this preaching and then you have a two minute break. That's like really weird for me. Anyway, all right. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Anyway, uh, I love that it says the ring chose him. And if you listen, if you watch the movie, Hal Jordan, is he's got some great gifting, but he's actually a bit of a mess up. He's always late, he's unreliable, he's non-committal, he's irresponsible. He, he's, he, he's, you know, he's carrying a whole lot of demons of the past. He, he's very kind of tormented and, and he's fairly messed up, but still the, the power, the ring, the source of power chose him. And my first point on this way of this incredibly fruitful life, number one is, is He chose you. God chose you based on who you are, not what you've done. And you've got to understand that, that this is such an important thing to understand. The Bible says that you didn't choose God, but God chose you. And God didn't choose you because of what you've done or what you're going to do. He chose you because of who you are. He chose you because you were created in the image of God, that you're a son or daughter. And, and it has nothing to do with what you've done or what you're going to do. He chose you when you're at your worst. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. And remember, we read the, the text and it was this beautiful picture of intimacy, of connectedness, of, of the more intimate and connected you are as a branch to the vine and the Father's clipping and, and desiring you to be fruitful. And, and the more that, that you allow that, that intimacy to happen, that connectedness, the more fruitful in life you become. That's the whole essence of John 15, 1 to 8. But then I want to show you in verse 3 something unusual. No, sorry, go back to 1 and then we'll get there. It says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. It says, He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then this here, right, this Scripture, it says, You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And we don't go to verse 4 now, but then it continues, we've already seen it, in the vein of connectedness, of remaining. If you remain in me, if you, if you don't, you can't do anything. But if you do, you can ask whatever you want. And so all of the verses, the eight verses, they're all connected. They all link. They're all about connectedness and fruitfulness. But then Jesus gets to this verse in verse 3, and it seems like he's got a little bit of ADHD. Do you know what I mean? Like squirrel. Like, it's like, and, and so it's this unusual thing that he's talking about connectedness. And, and if you be intimate and connected, then you become fruitful. And if you don't connect, you can't be fruitful. So please be intimate so that you can become fruitful. But then he just randomly throws this scripture that doesn't seem to fit. You're all, and by the way, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken. Now let's go back to intimacy. 
And the reason that he put this particular verse in, it had to be like a disclaimer because he knew that humans would connect fruitfulness to worth. He knew that we would connect lack of fruitfulness to who we are. He knew, even though He wanted us to be fruitful, He knew that we would fall into the trap of connecting how fruitful we are or are not and connecting that back to our worth. And whether you go the way of being fruitful and thinking you're something special or not being fruitful and thinking you're not special, both of those get you into a bad place. And really, as John 15 is this journey of you becoming unrecognizable, this journey of you becoming incredibly fruitful, Jesus needed to lay the foundation. If you're going to go on this journey, you have to get it in your spirit from the start that, yes, I want you to be fruitful, but please know it's got nothing to do with your worth. You're not more righteous because you're fruitful. You're not more loved because you're fruitful. You're not less loved because you're unfruitful. You're less loved because of your unrighteousness. No matter what you do, you can never be more loved. You can never be more of a son. You can never be more of a daughter. You can never be more righteous than you are on your worst day because you're not chosen by what you do. You're chosen because of who you are. The ring chose him. God chose you. He appointed you and chose you. And it's got nothing to do with what you've done. So you've got to understand right at the foundation that we are qualified because of what Jesus did, not because of what you've done. See, if you don't get this at the foundation, then you won't be able to step into the fruitfulness that God has for your life. See, there's many traps if you don't get this at the beginning. Is if you don't understand this, you'll become fruitful in life, but think that it's all you and you'll stop plugging into the source and you'll quickly see the fruitfulness disappear. Or the other very common thing, and maybe this relates to you, a lot of people when they don't understand this foundational principle, and what I'm trying to say is that my righteousness has got nothing to do with what I do. My worth as a child, the fact that I'm a son, how loved I am has zero to do with what I do or don't do. And one of the, when you don't understand this, what happens is your Christianity is a roller coaster ride. Not a good one. And what I mean by that is if you feel like it was a good week, it was pretty fruitful. I showed self-control. I prayed enough. I read enough. I did all the right stuff. I feel really close to God. But then the problem with that is next week, man, I messed up a little. I made some mistakes. I didn't read enough. I didn't pray enough. Oh, me and God are not really that close. And now you're living this roller coaster Christianity. But if you can just get that in your spirit, that when I have a great week, me and God are like this. But when I mess up and fall down, me and God are still like this. Because I'm not his son because of how I act. I'm his son because he chose me. I didn't deserve to be chosen, but he chose me anyway. He chose me not because of what I'm going to do. He chose me because I'm created in his image and I'm his son and I'm destined for eternal life with my father in heaven. See, the other thing is, is if you don't understand this, when you do, and I think Pastor Becky spoke on dreams this morning, when you reach your dream, 
when you have that, 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 that season where you really step into fruitfulness. If you don't get this foundational thing, then you'll make a mistake in your greatest season and now you'll think that it's all over because you thought the dream was connected to how well you behave and you'll abort the dream that God gave you. But if you get this in your spirit, you can reach your dream, make a mistake. But the Bible says a righteous, a, a righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets up eight. He just keeps getting on back up. Yeah, I fell down, but guess what? I'm stepping back into the dream. I'm, I'm going to keep walking in what God has for my life. You know, I still remember it so vividly. The moment at 23 years old, where a young drug addict messed up. No friends, because I lied and cheated so much. Not a cent in the bank, but mo owed money everywhere. No wholeness, no job. Addicted, messed up, tormented. And I remember the day at 23 years old, an auntie that had been praying for seven year, 17 years. And I still remember a phone call that changed everything. And as she started to talk about Jesus, I remember the presence of the Father. As a 23-year-old boy that didn't know who Jesus was and I sort of knew him as a distant figure. But, but that moment as she spoke, I remember the love of the Father that just literally entered that situation and, and I couldn't help but just weep uncontrollably. As I wept, and the reason I wept is because in that moment, even though I didn't have a theology, I just sensed that with all of my brokenness, He accepted me just the way that I was. And I remember so many moments in my first six months where I would literally in worship surrender myself to Him. But I remember being in awe of how bad of a deal it was for Him. Because I remember just saying, God, I'll give you all of me. God, there's nothing like, God, I'm broke. I've got no prospects. I didn't go to college. I don't have a job. God, I don't have relationships. I don't have a marriage. God, I've got nothing. But if you'll take this, God, if you'll have it, then I'll give you all of it. And it's amazing how for those six months that was so prevalent. I had such deep understanding, but how I can move from that to start to think that He took it because of something I could do. Here's the deal. He chose you and it's got nothing to do with what you've done or what you're going to do. It's got everything to do with who you are. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how messed up you've been. I don't care what family you're from. I want to tell you now, you are chosen by God. He chose you because of who you are. The second thing, we're going to watch one more, two more scenes. Watch one now. They're all two minutes each. Second scene.
Awesome. My second point is if you tap into the sauce, you'll get the girl. <laughs> I'm just lying. That's not what it is. But I promise you there is a bit of truth in that, I promise you. It worked for me. It worked for me. Okay, that's a side one, okay? It is true. It's not what I'm preaching on, but it is true. <clears throat> you take a survey of the men of God that married way up, okay? There's something in it. But number two it is, the point is knowing your limitations will cause you to plug into the source. Could you imagine in that moment, that was one of the first times Hal Jordan put the ring on to actually save a whole heap of people. But could you imagine if Hal Jordan just thought, you know what, I don't need the ring. Let me assess the situation. I can stop a helicopter at the same time protecting a girl. There's no, he would look like an idiot. What would he do? Oh, I'm going to go and stand in front of the helicopter. That's a different movie where he gets chopped up in pieces. <laughs> but could you imagine how silly he would look if he thought that he could actually solve that problem by himself? See, when you understand, you have to understand your limit, knowing your limitations will actually cause you to plug in to the source that God's given you. See, the reality is, think about this in the, in the text that we're reading from. Let, let's quickly read it. John 15 verses 4 to 6. It says this. It says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. <clears throat> no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So Jesus is the vine. We're the branch. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, this gets strong, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. In other words, you've got to understand that you're just a branch. See, if you think about this for a moment in this scenario, and I don't want to be a negative in a sense here, but think about in this particular story, a branch that's not connected to the source is just a branch. You think about a branch that's, that's broken off the tree, Eventually, it's just a dead stick. Eventually, it has no leaves. It, ha it definitely has no fruit. If it had fruit, it eventually has fallen off. The leaves have died and they've fallen off. There is nothing impressive about a branch by itself. And so often we can think that, that, that the branch that we are is pretty impressive by itself. Can I be real with you for a moment? If I, and this week as I was writing this message, and this comes out of just what God's been speaking to me about, about Him being my source. If I do a real assessment, when I am closest to God, when I am spending the most amount of time connecting intimately with God, and I've assessed this, is, is when I'm either going through some kind of personal struggle or when I'm in some kind of major faith challenge. And if I be honest with you, like last week, and I'll share one of the testimonies in my third point, last week was unbelievable. One of the most crazy, miraculous weekends that I've ever had. But if I be honest, the five, six days after that weekend, I probably spent less time with God than I normally would. And it's been perplexing me because I'm like, this doesn't make sense. But the reason, it's, so about, I don't know, a month ago, I had a real personal struggle, some stuff that affected me. And it took a couple weeks to, to work through it, to, to, to deal with stuff, to allow God to shine a light on different areas, to, to, to release different things that were said, all this kind of stuff. 
And then if I think back to when we first moved here three years ago, I was booked one year in advance. I come to America because God told me to. And we preached only 13 out of 26 weekends. And of those 13 weekends, only four were in America. And I'm like, God, you sent me to America to preach four Sundays. That's messed up. But again, in that six months, I would probably put that six months down to the most connected, intimate time I've ever had with God. And what is it about either the personal struggle or the faith challenge that causes me to connect more? Let me tell you, the personal challenge or the faith challenge becomes a reflection that reflects, I'm just a stick. It reflects back to me that I'm a branch. And there's no way I can achieve the faith challenge without God. There's no way I can work through this personal challenge without God. So because it reflects back to me my true identity and need for God, I now connect more than I do when I'm doing well. And I'm working on it to, to get both, you know what I'm saying? But, but it's amazing that when you get an understanding of your limitations, it'll cause you to plug in. There's a thing I remember a great man of God taught me called the cycle of man. And this, uh, if the guys could put it on the screen, <clears throat> this cycle is the cycle of man. And many biblical characters go through this exact same cycle. And here's the cycle. The first one, if we can do that there, is survival. And if you think about, we'll think about King David. King David started off as the least of all the brothers. But what was he doing? He was worshipping. He was leaning on God. Teach me to be a warrior. Show me how to beat the lion. Show me how to beat the bear. He gets anointed. God, I can't be king. You're going to have to help me to be king. Survival is when you first start out and you're like, God, I don't know how to do this. You're going to have to help me because I've never done a business. I've never been married. Parenting. Um, you're like, like, whatever it is, you're in that mode of survival. And then after survival, because that's a place of humility and leaning on God, you eventually go to success because you were in survival. And we see this with David. It's because of his hunger and humility. Eventually, an opportunity, he's now facing Goliath. He defeats the giant. They sing songs about him. He, he's now a success. David is known. He's a success now. They sing songs about him. And eventually from success, you now go to the next one, which is significance. Now, after a certain amount of success, because it was rooted in survival, David is not just successful, he's now significant. He runs the kingdom. He is the king of all of Israel. He's defeated armies. They, they, he's known. They've written things about him. He is the most successful king. He's significant. But here comes the danger after significance. Is significance, we can often then get self-satisfied. Because I achieved. Let me tell you this. Success is way harder to deal with than failure. Let me tell you that. Don't judge people that are really wealthy or really successful because you haven't walked in their shoes. It's much easier to be a, uh, in, a, in a tougher place than it is to be fully successful. And, and so now he's self-satisfied. And we see this when, when, when David, uh, the, 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 his men go off to war. David's already significant. I don't really need to keep fighting. I'm already significant. Let the boys go and run the battle. And then once you get to self-satisfied, the next thing that happens is now you start to get self-indulgent. Because now I've become complacent. 
And now what happens is he's walking on the roof because he's self-satisfied. He doesn't need to go to battle. And now he starts to get self-indulgent. He sees Bathsheba bathing. He knows she's married to one of his soldiers, but he thinks, I'm the king. I'm significant. I can have her. Bring her up to me. And now he's self-indulgent. And then eventually self-indulgent leads to self-deceived. He eventually kills another man and thinks it's okay and he can just hide his sin. He's so deceived that when the prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him a story about a man that stole someone's precious only lamb, even though he had hundreds of lambs, David is so deceived, he doesn't even know the parables about him. And then after self-deceived, we end up at the final one, which is self-destruct. A baby dies. There's pain, there's misery, there's hurt, which actually brings you back to survival, which actually is the grace of God. But how can we not actually live by this thing? And I don't have the, haven't had the guys do it, but if we did this, if we went from survival to success to significance, and then we deliberately put our place, selves in a place of survival... Success, significance, take another faith step, put yourself in a place where God, I don't know how to add another business. God, I don't know how to do this particular thing. God, I'm back on my knees again. God, I need your help. God, I don't know how to do it because then you'll never become self-satisfied. I'm telling you, we have a senior pastor that lives by this that just came to San Diego on his knees. God, I don't know how to build a campus in San Diego. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to get buildings. And because of humility and survival, he had success. And over long periods of time, there's a building. Now there's some significance. But you know what? I'm not going to stay there. All right, God, let's get a building in South. Let's get a building in East. Let's get a building. Let's get a ranch. Let's just keep putting myself in survival. Last point is this. We, we've got one more video. Let's put that on. The bigger you are, the faster you burn.
Awesome. Last point. Really quickly, when you plug into the source, you look better than you really are. See, he started off as a, a loser. He started off selfish. He started off uncommitted. He, he started off with a lot of demons of the past. But he finishes as the hero of the story. He finishes, and as they look at him, and, and I'll do this last point really quickly just for time's sake, but, but we won't read it, but in John 15, verse 7, 8, it's the one that says, remain in me and you can ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. This is so everyone can see that you're my disciple. That God's heart is that you would become so ridiculously fruitful that you would become unrecognisable. See, uh, when you're connected, you look better than you are. Uh, what happens, remember I said, what we are, we're all just a branch. But when a branch is connected, what happens? Leaves grow. Green foliage. Leaves grow. Leaves are spoken about in the garden. When humanity sinned and they became uncovered, what did God do? He took fig leaves so that they would be covered. Leaves speak of covering. Pastor Jürgen brings this out often, that when those fig leaves were cut and they were put to cover, the leaves, the fig leaves were actually already dying, so they would eventually need to be replaced. It's a picture of the old covenant that no matter how many times you sacrifice, you'll need to sacrifice again. But the, the New Testament connectedness and intimacy, God is saying, if you stay connected, I will cause leaves to constantly cover you. And even though you know underneath I'm just a branch, the rest of the world, all they would see is someone that's covered by the grace of God, someone that's covered by the goodness of God, someone that's covered by the fruit of the Spirit, someone that's covered. But the cool thing is it's not just leaves, but when you are connected, you become fruitful. And when you understand that God's your source, and this is the thing that I've really meditated on this last maybe three weeks. He's not just my source for provision. He's my source for the fruit of the Spirit. He's my source for wisdom. He's my source for favour. He's my source for finance. He's my source for love. He's my source for the gifts of the Spirit. When you start to understand that and tap in to the source, then all of a sudden nobody can even see you, the, the real you that's underneath that you know is just a stick, it's just a branch. All they see is so much fruit, so much blessing, so much favour, so covered. For, for a couple weeks, I've been doing a meditation thing that I do, which is like eight to 10 minutes where I pick one mindset that I'm going to work on. And, and, I, and I do this eight to 10 minutes every day. I've done it for about two weeks where I, I'm building that God is my source. And I've been meditating on what that means and getting rid of destructive thoughts. You know, every time you get upset, every time you start freaking out about life, guess what? It proves that you don't really believe He's your source. We were taking on a really big faith challenge and I promise you for two months, I was freaking out nearly every day. Can't do it, it's too much. But I finally come to the point after two months, all that shows is I don't really believe He's my source. I actually believe I'm the source. I believe the work that I'm doing is the source. I believe the opportunities that I could make happen, they're the source. Who knows that's really limited, but imagine what would happen if you tapped into the source. That is limitless. Two things that I'm going to pray. I'm sorry we've gone over by a minute or two. Two things. While I was doing this eight to 10 minute mind renewal process, 
building this new thinking pattern. The way I do it is the, there's five steps. The fifth one is you always do an action step. Because if you're trying to believe something new, but then you don't act it out, then the thought is compromised and it will never become a real belief. So each day you've got to think of one kind of uh, action step that fits with the thing that God spoke to you about. And when I was doing the source, it wasn't always about provision. Like I said, it was about fruit of the Spirit, it was about wisdom, all these different things. Two things that happened. On my first day, I was going to meet with Mike Finn, just for a catch up. And so my action said that day, I said, well, all right, if I'm going to meet with Mike Finn and you're my source, give me a prophetic word for him. Because you're my source. Straight away, he showed me this picture. It was a field being burnt off and because he allowed something in his life to be burnt, the new harvest would be even better than the one before. I went and shared this with Mike Finn. He starts freaking out. He says, two years ago, God gave me that word for someone. I Googled it and I have the article in my phone, but I never found the person who it was for. He said, watch this. It's still in my Google tabs. And he brought it up. He said it was for me because I I saw him as my source. On about day 10, and like I said, this was the only day that in that day of meditation, God spoke to me more about provision. And I said, all right, if you're my provider, this is last Saturday, I could show you my journal. If you're my source, I want you to ridiculously bless me. And I wrote 10K and I circled it. I preached that night at a men's conference and there was a family in Ohio and they went to the pastor and they said we feel like we're meant to give Lucas and Jackie $10,000 I actually did my journal that day rushed because I had to preach so I just doing it out of discipline I didn't even remember that I wrote 10k the next morning I'm doing my my journal again and I look back and I see 10k circled I'm like are you serious What would happen if we saw God as our source? What would happen if we stopped thinking the branch was the source, but we started seeing the King of heaven who is unlimited in healing, in power, in prosperity, in favour, in wisdom, in love, in joy, in peace. What would happen if you dared to believe that He is your source? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.